This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. Coming off a solid week capped by a great win against the Brooklyn Nets, the 76ers now take their act on the road against a couple quality opponents. We cover a lot, from Ben Simmons' dunk to Danny Green's threes to coffee. Yes, coffee, and not just any coffee, Salt Lake City coffee. Your calls, DMs, voicemails. We do it every week, right here on Mailbag Monday. The 76ers, in the midst of a rare reprieve, back-to-back days without playing games as they sojourn west for the start of a four-game road trip. But, knock on wood, the mailbag is still busy, which we totally appreciate. And we got some noteworthy storylines, Lauren, to reflect upon from the week that was. The 76ers had a 2-1 and week, just a little bit of a hiccup against Portland without one of their all-stars, Ben Simmons. We can also look ahead to a four-game swing through the West, which I think should present some good tests for the old squad. I know we talk about all the time, Celts, that this is a new team, but I think every time the team goes on the road, I do get just a little bit nervous. But then when I consider the way that this team has performed on the road thus far this season, I feel a little better. I'm looking forward to seeing how they embrace this challenge as opposed to being nervous about what could go down. They have been a lot better on the road this year, and it's a refreshing way to to go into a four-game trip. You know the way I'm feeling about this upcoming four-game trip? Tell me. I'll be honest. I'm a little envious. There are a couple cities on this trip that if you look at the schedule, you might not think are the most appealing or attractive destinations on the NBA circuit. The Sixers are at Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, and then Salt Lake City, home of the Jazz. But there are a couple of those cities, Sacramento, might be surprising to some people, Sacramento and Salt Lake included, that are low-key favorites of one Brian Seltzer. Salt Lake is a favorite of Lauren Rosen as well. I'm a big nature, clean air. There are some cities where the air just feels fresh. And Salt Lake City is one of those. A 10-minute drive and you're in the beautiful mountains. I'm a big Salt Lake City gal and I feel you. I would really be happy to go on a trip to anywhere right about now. But of course, (laughs) safety first. Glad that the team has been able to be as safe as they have with a condensed travel party. And I'll be getting to other cities at some point in the next, I don't know what, three years, four years, five years? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, let, let, let's go a little bit more optimistic. Maybe within the next season. Fingers crossed. Fingers let's crossed. not jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sacramento, I feel, gets a bad rap at times. They have a great brewery around the corner from the hotel. Hopefully I'm not divulging too much. Portland, heady, crunchy, tremendous donuts, great grub. Phoenix is Phoenix. And Salt Lake City, like you said, the right time of year, get up in that mountain air, maybe you have an off day, go to Park City, check it out. Those were different times, however. No, this is a very Lauren Rosen trip, actually. I love Portland. Portland might be of the NBA cities that I've seen, and now I've seen most of them, all but a few. Portland is right at the very top for me. I love Portland, love Salt Lake. Whenever there are West Coast trips, people get really excited about going to Southern California. And for me, to be honest, I would take Portland and Salt Lake 10 times out of 10. Wow. I like that. I, I'm not sure if I would go 10 times out of 10. Um, Maybe like eight and a half times out of 10. <laughs> I would mix in a few stops in Portland and Salt Lake in addition to Southern California. Fair enough. And 
San Francisco. Fair enough. I have never been to the Staples Center, and I know that that's one of the one of the arenas with a lot of just sort of general vibes and ethos that you want to experience. So yes, uh, maybe maybe once I've done it, I'll feel differently. <laughs> but I do love Portland and Salt Lake, and now the people that listen to us know way too much about where I care to travel to. So apologies. <laughs> I'm going to ask one more non 76ers question before we open up the mailbag, just because I feel like everyone has to have a take, whoever you are, whatever it is you do, whether you even like sports or don't any Super Bowl takes anything at all. Do I ask you, what was your favorite commercial? I got to be honest, Celts, I almost didn't watch it. And I think that that's something important for folks to know about my identity. I, I love sports. There's a reason I work in sports, but I have just been a little sportsed out lately and mm -hmm. I almost didn't watch. I don't have much of an affinity for either team that was playing. And then I said, look, like it's a cultural moment. You got to watch the Super Bowl. So I did turn it on. I did believe that the outcome was going to be the outcome. I had a feeling. I I'm one of those people, you never bet against one of the greatest of all time. It's why I never bet against LeBron in the finals. It's why I never bet against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So for someone who almost didn't watch the game, I was proud of myself for having the right, you know, take, at least to myself. I think that's fair. I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. I was a fan of the DoorDash neighborhood ad with Sesame Street, just because that's kind of the realm that I'm living in these days. Um, also not too dissimilar along that same theme, the Huggies, shot from home mostly, diapers ad. A lot of, I think it, it looked like it was a mashup of home shot phone videos um, mixed in with some professional shot stuff, so I like that. Um, what else? I feel like there was one more. Oh, General Motors, Will Ferrell. That was a good one. I don't know if you caught that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That was clever. That was a good one. Sometimes a little bit played out on Will Ferrell, and I think that he's uh, it's slightly stale, but I thought this was fresh, good Will Ferrell. I found flat Matthew McConaughey amusing. I wasn't like, I thought they could have done a little more with that, but but I was amused, I was intrigued by flat Matthew McConaughey at some point in the first quarter. So, <laughs> Okay. Hopefully there aren't too many people. Uh, I feel like it might be just about everyone who hit the tap ahead by 10 or 15 <laughs> or 30 second, uh, wishing there was even more seconds you could tap ahead with buttons on your pod apps. Uh, but at long last, it is time to open up this week's mailbag. You have one new message. How does Mailbag Monday work? You have a couple ways to reach us. You can call. This is the preferred way. Our pod line, 215-403-7637. That's 215-403-PODS. Leave us a voicemail any time of the week, day or night, about anything related to the 76ers, and we'll be more than happy to play it. Right now, there's just about a 1,000% ratio that if you leave a voicemail, we are going to play it on the pod, dating back to as long as we've been doing this. And the DMs are also open. Look for us on Instagram, Seltzer Sixer Snaps. Lauren M. Rosen. Lauren's got the same handle on Twitter. I'm at Brian Seltzer on Twitter. And the Sixers' main account on IGS opens up a weekly sticker for your submission in their story on Sundays. And that's how you can reach us as well. And if we read your prompt or submission or play it on the show, you are then entered into a random name picker for a 76ers swag bag. That's it. We'd love to hear from you. Love it. Every time we get questions you guys are always engaged you guys are always keeping us on our toes we appreciate them so keep them coming this past week saw wins for the 76ers wrapping up a three-game road trip 
imperfect fashion with a dub at Charlotte, a loss the next night at home against the Portland Trailblazers without Ben Simmons, and then a big victory on Saturday versus the Brooklyn Nets, 124-108. Not surprisingly, a lot of people weighing in on that win over the Nets. We will start there, do a couple quick hitters. First from Alex the King, 795 on Instagram. He said the win was amazing. Big Ben is violent in a good way, and I am not one to promote violence in any way, shape, or form unless it is a Ben Simmons in-your-face dunk on Tyler Johnson. That was awesome. It really, really was awesome, and I feel that in some cases, I'm okay with technical fouls. Like, obviously, you don't want too many of them. It was a close game, but... I was cool with it. If it means that Ben's feeling himself and he's getting demonstrative out there, Ben Simmons is scary when he's calm, right? So a riled up Ben Simmons is honestly somewhat terrifying. And I was happy to see him get into that mode. Summer underscore 85 underscore. I am loving floor general Ben Simmons. His mindset is full on broad street bully. When we win, I agree. I thought that Ben came out with purpose, honestly. And looking back a couple days later, I thought his contributions were more impactful than perhaps the final line reflected, at least on offense with the scoring. Finished with 16 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals. Helped change the game with his defense on James Harden midway through the third quarter. All-around great game from Ben, but his demeanor in that game was also something that I took away from the win line. And I don't know how we can do a better job of, of addressing this, so I'm open to thoughts from you or from anyone that submits to the mailbag, but... I feel that Ben's stat line almost never tells the full story. It always, he's more impactful than even 16, 12, and 8, which is an incredibly impactful stat line, right? Like, the way that he impacts the game on both ends of the floor, we've heard Doc Rivers talk about it all season since even before this team actually hit the floor for meaningful minutes. We've heard Joel Embiid talk about, Joel Embiid talked about it on Twitter a couple nights ago to make sure people know how impactful Ben is beyond what the stats say. So I wish there was a way that we could just add like a little Ben bump to every stat line that he produces because he is always making more of an impact than that line suggests. And the same could go for a few other players on this team as well. When there are so many good players, the stats don't always tell the full story. Couldn't be uh, in more um, alignment with you on that sentiment, Lauren. And just very quickly as an aside, because we haven't done enough asides already on this edition of Mailbag Monday, uh, you mentioned Twitter and some love shown by Joel Embiid for his fellow players on the Sixers roster on Twitter. It is a freaking get-you-to-the-all-star-game love fest between Joe, Ben, and Tobias. It's great. Great support for each other and tremendous camaraderie on social media between three all-star hopefuls for the Sixers. Yeah, you love to see it, Celts. They have varying sizes of followings, notably Joel, Ben. They have millions and millions of followers. Tobias is a little bit behind in the follower count, but Ben and Joel know that, and they know that they can use their audiences to boost the rising tide, can raise all ships in this social media (laughs) Sixers landscape. And I've loved watching the way that they've all been able to leverage their own voices to help one another. Um, Tobias has done a little bit more media recently. He did the Woj pod and he also has been super, super complimentary of Ben and Joel. So to just hear them all spreading the love towards one another, it's it's just been beautiful to see, Celts. It warms my heart. It warms my cold, cold heart. <laughs> Amen, which, hey, everyone's heart has got to be cold these days. Right now as we're taping this, it's like 25 degrees outside. Insanity. All right, back into the mailbag we go. You have one new message. Yasmeen Morgan on IG said, Brooklyn, that game that Simmons and Curry 
got back into a groove. I am hype. Oh, I've got one of two. Hi, look at you. One of the two two-year-old look twins you, are in the house. My man Asher. There he is. He's going to come and read one of our submissions. He wants to sleep on my side of the bed for nap. Should we let him before we address Yasmin Morgan's comment? I think so. Are we keeping this part in, Seltzer, or is this? We're keeping this it in. Is... Yeah, this is staying oh. in. <laughs> I thought this was like a Asher's late submission question to the, for the mailbag. mailbag. Is no, it is. It's from Asher. He wants to know: Can you sleep on my side of the bed for nap? I think we should let him. Should Not we let you I sleep should... on my side of the bed? <laughs> okay. All right. If he says yes, we should. Then we shall. Goodbye, buddy. Let's re-rack it. Yasmeen Morgan on IG. This was a game, talking about the Brooklyn game, that Ben Simmons and Seth Curry needed to get back in the groove. I am hype. I am as well. Loved seeing that fadeaway three from the corner go down for Seth Curry at the end of the first half that put the Sixers back in front by one. He only finished with 11 points, but I thought that you saw Seth establish that rhythm once again, boosted by that late three in the second quarter, and then in the third quarter, he was really helpful as well. For sure. And that was yet another decisive third quarter for this Sixers team. So to see Seth get some shots going in, like you said, right before halftime and then eight points in the second half, really big for someone that's had a rough go of it the last few weeks. We know that he was sidelined due to COVID-19. Doc Rivers has been very understanding and has urged folks to give Seth a little slack because he's still coming back from something really difficult. Seth has explained that he hasn't been feeling great. We saw him sit out the second half of the Portland game because he wasn't feeling great. So just from a human perspective, really, really nice to see Seth succeed against the Brooklyn Nets and hopefully he can put together a good road trip for himself but I would echo what Doc said and just make sure you're being patient with this man because this has got to be really difficult for him he obviously holds himself to a very high standard and it must be hard to not be able to reach that standard because of something that's totally out of your control and I like to presume positive intent Lauren with everyone but if you do happen to be one of those people who is not being patient with Seth Curry right now he was shooting 60 percent this time last week from three so let's Let's give it a rest, you know? And I think most people are. I think they realize that, um, yeah, there's ups and downs, especially when it comes with shooting throughout a season. And Seth is, in particular, trying to navigate this just crazy period and trying to get himself right. But I was, uh, and I'm glad to see that some fans were as well, really happy to see him um, do his thing at various points in that game against the Nets on Saturday. I want to take a quick second to remind you of our programming slate here on the 76ers Podcast Network main feed. Every Monday, it's Mailbag Monday with myself and Lauren Rosen. Every other Tuesday, it's Coat Check with Matt Murphy, the official podcast of the Delaware Bluecoats, the 76ers G League affiliate. Every other Thursday, it is Tom's Talks with the one and only radio voice of the 76ers, the incomparable Tom McGinnis. And then on Fridays, it's our weekly deep dive with the man, Devon Givens. We also have a brand new show on a brand new feed. It's called The Scoop. It's essentially a daily five-minute 76ers update that comes to you first thing every morning. All you got to do is search 76ers Scoop wherever you get your pods to subscribe or follow along. More mailbag. You have one new message. Jay Harrop, 86ers are playing amazing. It's because we got shooters now, and I do not disagree with that. I feel that as well. The spacing of this team has looked really good. The ball movement of this team has looked good. The shooting has looked good. And of course, this week we saw a couple cold streaks from the Sixers from deep, but just knowing, and and it's not coming to my head 
right now, but one of our players spoke about it and it'll probably come to me as soon as we hang up from this call Celts. Um, but about the idea that Danny and Seth are always threats, whether or not they're scoring high numbers in any given game, leaving them open is always a mistake. And that stretches opponent defenses in a way that we haven't seen a ton in the last couple of years, especially when they're going to try to double Joel Embiid. Well, if you double Joel Embiid and you're guarding Danny and you're guarding Seth, Who's guarding Ben and Tobias? It really is an interesting thing to see the way that other defenses have to deal with this team and have to give respect to guys like Danny and Seth. And that's just in the starting lineup. We know we have shooters on the bench as well. How awesome is that when Danny Green in the corner, right in front of the Brooklyn bench, got the no call, and it was probably a fair no call. But listen, if the worst thing that happened from that was that he got so fired up, he went on that run of scoring eight straight points to essentially put the game in the 76ers' control for good, terrific moment, and it speaks to your point, Lauren, that regardless of what these guys are shooting to tie this back into the comment that we were talking about with Seth, it's that you have to honor these guys, particularly those two, given their body of work. And I think last year the Sixers had some players on their roster um, who are solid three-point shooters, who, yes, can knock down big shots, like a, a Josh Richardson. And this is no no shade or, or, or any slight, but he's just... He's not one of those dead-eye marksmen like Danny Green and Seth Curry, and very few guys are in the NBA for that matter, but you have to honor players like that. And you just sort of know that when Danny or Seth is left open, they're going to make you pay. I like what you said about Danny. I said that he returned to the scene of the crime for back-to-back threes after that egregious no-call. There aren't many people in the building these days, but when there's a big no call in the building, you can kind of hear a collective sigh or a collective, like if there were fans there, they'd be booing and and being loud and being crazy. But even without fans, when a no call is as bad as that one on Danny was, you really hear, you hear a collective sigh in the building. And then it was great to see him return to the scene, get those back-to-back threes and really put the game away for the Sixers. I thought that was a great, great showing from Danny Green in in a crucial part of the game. For the first time in this week's Mailbag Monday, we go to the pod line. You have one new message. 76ers have had some situations where they've had a big lead or going into the fourth quarter or they're down a little bit. But since the best fourth quarter team so far in the season, do you think this helps them close out teams and put them away if they've come back a little bit? We are talking about late game performance consistently, Lauren, by the 76ers. Do we think this helps close teams out and put them away because they've been so good in the fourth quarter? Absolutely. We've discussed this a couple times. I honestly can't remember at this point whether it was 7-6 Live Countdown, Friday Deep Dive with Devon, or here on the mailbag. But I really am a big believer that this fourth quarter success, closing teams out in the fourth, especially for a new team with a new coach, really can form the foundation for trust and buy-in. No doubt about it. The Sixers continue to be the best fourth quarter team in the league. Of course, that means that they are finding themselves in a lot of close game scenarios in the fourth quarter, which I'm sure Doc Rivers would be relieved to not find himself in as much as this team is. But there will be a lot of close games down the road for this team. There will be a lot of close games in the playoffs for this team. It is cool to see the way that they've figured out a way to navigate tough situations this early in their tenure as a group, not just early in the season, but early as a group, early as a group under a new coaching staff, they really have figured out what late in games is supposed to look like. And to me, it starts on defense. I think this team's fourth quarter defense has been just based on the eye test, not even using any of the numbers, pretty outstanding. I think that when we talk about stats, um, you know, there's 
I think more people these days obviously understand why it makes sense to look at things on a per 100 possession basis that normalizes things for all 30 teams. But let's say if you just took the per game stats, um, traditional stats, and you narrowed it down to the fourth quarter. Sixers outscored the opposition by around three and a half points per game in the fourth quarter. But if you project that out and normalize it to per 100 possessions, this is how good the Sixers are in the fourth quarter, outscoring the opponent by an average of 13 points. That would be if they played it that way over the course of a 100-possession game. And the next closest team is Brooklyn, and they're, doing quick math, roughly five points behind the 76ers in their scoring rate in the fourth quarter, which, again, if you go back to the Per game stat analysis, they're just about a point and a half behind the Sixers. So that that just speaks to the differential there when you look at it by a per 100 possession basis. Shows you how good the Sixers have been finding ways to close opponents out. Did any of that make sense? I felt myself speaking in circles. Okay. It made sense to me. And I would I would just add the last stat I wanted to throw out there. The Sixers have found themselves in, I believe, 11, yes, 11 clutch time situations where the game is is within, I believe, isn't it within five points in the last five minutes of the game, Celts? Isn't that how clutch time is, is defined? Yep. And they've won 10 of those 11 opportunities. That's big time. That is a huge stat. And if they can continue winning close games at this rate, I think it'll be absolutely massive for the team going forward. Opponents shooting just 41.5% on the 76ers in fourth quarters. That is just a tenth of a percentage point behind Houston for the best stat in the league. Opponents shooting just 31.6% from three in the fourth quarter. That is the lowest in the league. 76ers defense getting it done when it matters the most. Andy Slichter on IG saying the Sixers can finish a game even when the game isn't going to plan learning to finish. Speaking to the point we just discussed, yes, Andy, well said. You have one new message. More on IGS. Jonathan underscore Young 03. Playing Shake Milton more is great for the Sixers. With him getting more than 20 minutes per game, E-Z win in caps. I can't say if it's necessarily always going to be easy or simple or a direct path, but I do agree that the more Shake Milton plays, it seems like the more good things happen. Well, Shake is just so determined and so confident. No matter the scenario, he's always ready to embrace a challenge. He's never afraid. The way that he's able to drive through traffic late in games, even if he's not having a great night, to just really attack an opponent defense and, and have no fear has, has really impressed me over and over again from Shake. And it's cool to see him continuing to feel out his role as, as really a leader of that second unit. Even though he's still young in his career, he's sort of emerged as a, as a calm, cool, collected presence for a second unit that is overall outside of Dwight Howard, pretty young. Shake Milton in the win over the Nets, 15 points off the bench, six of three from the field, four rebounds and three assists. Got a few opportunities when he was matched up on James Harden. And yeah, I think that he is certainly Lauren taking on a leadership role with the bench. He's a great scorer, still an evolving scorer, um, very much this year from what we've seen, his ability to finish at the rim. But also his defense, I think, people should be talking more about that. I know that some people um, on Sixers Twitter have brought that up, but Shake's been able to hold it down pretty decently on defense, which can only help his cause towards becoming a complete player. Yeah, and another player that comes to mind is Tobias Harris there because both of them have shown a ton of improvement this season, but they've also both emphasized the fact that they want to improve on defense and they've definitely done it. I don't see Shake Milton or Tobias Harris as a defensive liability. I see them as guys that can stick with their man. They can even hang around in a little zone if they need to, and it's been cool to see them sort of put their money where their mouth is when it comes to 
improving defensively because both of them have. Back to the pod line, which, once again, so you can enter it in your phone and save it. 215-403-7637. You have one new message. Hi, Matisse. This is Grace from Las Vegas. I just wanted to give you a shout-out on how you stayed so determined in the end of the Pacers game. So proud of you. Keep up that strong defense and keep making those steals. Thank you for making it such an exciting game. Bye. So the story behind this voicemail, Lauren, is that Gloria actually called us right after we were done taping last week's Mailbag Monday. So her voicemail referenced Matisse Thibel's defensive performance against the Indiana Pacers. But because she sent in a great call, one that appreciates Matisse Thibel, you have to get those calls in. Um, and again, I think this underscores the point that you were talking about with the bench and how we're seeing some depth. And I got to be honest with you, like looking at some of the uh, fellow top contenders, if we put the Sixers in that category in the Eastern Conference, I'm thinking of teams like Brooklyn and Boston and Toronto, who the Sixers have played as well. Miami, I don't think we could get a fair gauge on because um, they were so decimated in terms of roster availability when the Sixers had that two-game series. But I like the Sixers' depth compared to their fellow top-of-the-Eastern Conference brethren. We haven't seen Milwaukee yet. But I really like the Sixers' depth, and a couple of these guys who we've talked about over the last few minutes are a big reason why the Sixers have shown to have good depth. Yeah, I'm with you, Celts. A guy like Matisse Thibel coming off the bench is such a luxury to have. He's one of the best defenders, certainly on this team, if not in the league. And to have someone like Shake come off the bench with his offense, Matisse come off the bench with his defense, those are weapons that other second units around the league are going to have problems responding to. And it's been cool to see both of them grow again from sort of youngsters on the team into guys that really know their role and, and can step into their role with confidence and with conviction. A guy like Matisse, we talk about his defense all the time, but I think it's worth noting that his stats on defense in steals and particularly deflections, always among the top guys in the league, but his minutes are not among his contemporaries in those situations. And I liked your tweet, Seltz, the other day when you talked about Matisse leading the league in deflections per 36, because Matisse this season is averaging, I believe, just over 17 minutes a game and still hanging with other defenders stats-wise per game. But when you narrow it down per 36, Matisse is far and away being more productive on the defensive end when it comes to deflections and steals and loose balls. And I think that's just a phenomenal thing to keep an eye on. To that point, and we must be particularly in sync on this edition of Mailbag Monday, uh, Matisse played 22 minutes against the Nets on Saturday. He had a team-high 12 contested shots, according to NBA.com. And now it's also important to note that the way that individual teams measure these stats differ from um, – the league website so it kind of to me I, I kind of take it with a grain of salt and um, numbers like that serve to better inform what you're seeing but yeah in 22 minutes 12 contested shots that's tremendous five deflections second on the team to Ben Simmons who had eight deflections and Simmons played 34 minutes so whether it's stagnated where you might have Ben Simmons on the court at one time then bring on Matisse to take on the opposing team's top perimeter score, or you put them in a lineup together, like what we saw at times with Ben, Matisse, plus another all-league defender in Danny Green. 76ers showing some really great options defensively that they can use scattered throughout a game. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. We talked about it, obviously, with last week's mailbag, and I assume that this voicemail is is addressing the zone that the two of them, Ben and Matisse, that is, put up at the top of that 2-3 zone. They were just incredible. A really cool thing to maybe look out for on a future, I don't know, Australian national team, but also on mm. Sixers lineups to come as well. Really cool to see the two of them developing a chemistry on the defensive end, trusting one another, and, and leading the rest of the group on defense. And I would also add, um, there was a play that I wanted to reference when you said we were going to talk about Matisse from the uh, Brooklyn Nets game. He blocked Landry Shamit from behind. His sort of come from behind block has become one of his, I'd say, signature defensive plays. Grabbed the block himself, took it back down the other, to the other end for Shake Milton to hit an immediate three. And the way that Landry Shamit, who's another calm, cool, and collected great guy, former Sixer, we love Landry Shamit. You could see in his body language that he was just deflated by what Matisse did to him in that one play. And it took him a minute to get back into the game. So the mental side of the defense that some of these guys can play, I think down the stretch is going to be really huge for this team. Amen to that. Vic Volcom on IGS saying depth is more important than a couple of superstars, perhaps in reference to the fact that Brooklyn has its three stars in its lineup with Durant, Irving, and Harden. Listen, I would, I would, I agree with that sentiment. I would also say that it's great to have superstars and depth, which the 76ers, by the way, have as well, because <laughs> they've got their own core of superstars. And then you throw in this depth, and I think, like we've all seen, it's a reason why the team is at the top of the East. And somehow, Celts, I think we've gotten through whatever it's been, 30 minutes of the mailbag, before even mentioning Furkan Korkmaz, yes. who has also looked really good lately. 13 points against Brooklyn with a couple other strong performances after a little bit of a, a lull there for Furkan, but another guy to have on your bench that can come off with the offensive production that he can give you, especially shooting, is just phenomenal. And the fact that we've talked about depth now for 20 minutes and haven't mentioned Furkan yet speaks to just how deep this team is. Yep, Dwight Howard... Tyrese Maxey, throw them in the mix too. Good looking bench for Doc Rivers and the 76ers. You have one new message. Shifting our focus to what lies ahead for the Sixers, Lauren and I gave you the itinerary. Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, Utah over the next eight days for the Sixers. Talisha Martineau on IG saying, Proud of us. I can see the progress. Great win over Brooklyn. We should be fine this week on the road trip. Blue hearts emoji. I think there's going to be some challenging games. I do. I think Sacramento is going to be really interesting. The Kings have been playing well and solidly as of late. Phoenix made a huge offseason addition, headlined by Chris Paul. And then Utah has lost, I think, just once in its last 16 games, uh, if I have that number up to date and then there's portland which knocked off the sixers without its dynamic backcourt duo so i think there's going to be challenges yeah i mean it's four tough games it's four winnable games but it's also four losable games and it's it's going to be cool to see the way that the sixers are able to cope with being on the road as a group for so long luckily the chemistry is really good on this team and i think they'll be able to at least enjoy some time together of course distanced and, and with a little bit less freedom than they're used to. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if this could be a nice bonding experience for the team, hopefully fight through um, and, and get some gritty wins knocked out against some quality teams. They could come back to Philadelphia in whatever it is, 10 days, a much stronger unit together if they if they spend the next 10 days strategically. Whether Lauren, it's between post-game work after Sixers games or just being tired as an aging person in my mid-30s, I definitely, at this stage of the year, don't 
stay up to watch all the West Coast games when they're on national TV. So personally, um, there's there's the flip side, uh, which is that back on the East Coast, you have to stay up for these later start times. But I also really look forward to seeing some of these teams, especially Phoenix and how they um, were looking to build on the success they had in the bubble when they went on that undefeated run, didn't make it to the postseason. Now they add Chris Paul. What do they look like? Um, the Utah Jazz, Mike Connolly might be banged up, but what's triggered their recent success to shoot up to the top of a really good Western Conference? So um, while my body and mind might be somewhat terrified of the demands of the schedule, being three time zones away in the days ahead. Um, the basketball fan in me is really looking forward to seeing some of these teams. Well, you know, we love a day game here on the broadcast. Yes. Itself, and at least we are going to get one of those on Saturday in Phoenix. It could be worse. We could get more than two 10 PM starts with this group. And luckily in this group of games, the first two are going to be the latest. So Sixers fans drink your coffee and the second two more manageable, especially we love a Saturday day game. Indeed. Indeed. And I ironically ended up taking that day off, my first game off this season. But Not for everyone else pick. back east, no, <laughs> I, I'm happy for the 3 p.m. Eastern start. All right, that's our mailbag covering Sixers, Super Bowl, and underrated road trip destinations, everything in between. That road trip conversation at the beginning, Celts, has me very nostalgic. Um, the Salt Lake, Salt Lake City and Portland, I think two of the most, well, Portland maybe not underrated, but Salt Lake City underrated for the coffee game. I'm a big coffee gal, especially on the road. I like to try different highly rated coffee places. Maybe that makes me a coffee snob. It is what it is. But Blue Copper Coffee in Salt Lake City and Barista in Portland, two of the best cups of coffee you can get in the country. Unfortunately, the Sixers travel party not allowed to venture out to either establishment. But hopefully next time when we're all there together, we can maybe do a broadcast from a <laughs> good coffee shop, or at least with a good cup of coffee. A, yes. B, I mean, my one dream back in the day was, right, if we go on the road, take our act on the road and have a gathering of displaced out-of-market Sixers fans. I'm just disappointed that you did not cite Mill Creek as your coffee spot in Salt Lake. And I'm not a coffee drinker, but I love Mill Creek coffee roasters. I don't know Mill Creek. I might have to try that next time I'm in Salt Lake. My best friend happens, one of my best friends, if not my best friend, happens to live in Salt Lake City, um, but she's not a coffee drinker. So when I'm out there visiting, I have to go find stuff myself and Mill Creek. I'll have to do that next time. The street blocks in Salt Lake City are outrageously long, but that being said, it's only two blocks down the street from the hotel. So the next time. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. I will have to try it. <laughs> Okay, so we yeah, clearly a lot of ground covered on the mailbag. Hopefully none of you tapped ahead, and our retention percentage on this episode is very high. All-encompassing content here on the mailbag. You never know. Hey, we're just happy to be able to talk to one another. I hope some of you are as bored as, as I am these days and, and manage to listen to that whole thing. If you have any coffee takes and you want to submit those to next week's mailbag, I am all ears. And as always, thank you, everybody who's still listening, for continuing to listen and for submitting all your questions. This has been really fun for us. Be on the lookout this week for more installments in our Black History Month Inspirations mini-series. Also, Tom's Talks will drop on Thursday, a new episode with T-Mac. And we'll be back with Devon Givens, Arn and I will on Friday for the latest edition of the Friday Deep Dive. Talk to you then.